Good. Well, good afternoon. I need some notes. Uh, I'm very excited about this week because, um, well, this week is the kind of second part of looking at the whole book of Job in two weeks, which is quite a challenge. Um, and I, I don't really know why I've done this, but, <laughs> but I do. But um, I've been really excited about this week because it can add balance to what we looked at last week. Last week was good, if I may say so myself, uh, but on its own, not really very full. So this week, we can kind of add balance to that and give a, a good full picture of the book of Job. So I'm, I'm, I've been really excited uh, to doing this week and preparing for it to just be able to kind of add the second half of it and to add a bit of balance. So, so we're going through uh, the book of Job uh, and we're looking at two themes that run throughout the book of Job, side by side, all the way through, almost kind of wrestling with each other, um, this, these kind of two ideas. So last week, we looked at the idea of Job being an honest man. He didn't know everything. Um, he was kind of very confused and in pain. Uh, and he was honest about that pain. Uh, and last week, we looked at the idea that it's really important to come to suffering with an honest human heart. But not only that, we learned that it's uh, actually having that honesty is an example of, of, of faith. Because if we believe in a loving God, then we should respond to suffering. Well, that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah? So that's kind of, we looked at this man, Job. If you weren't there last week, um, then that was a real shame. Because we kind of did a real whistle-stop tour of what happens in the first two chapters of Job. This godly man who feared God uh, and was, was righteous and godly. Um, and then kind of, how, how, we, how we can equate this, but God allowed the devil to kind of destroy Job's wealth and his possessions and everything that he had, his family. Uh, and the book of Job is really Job's response to that suffering. What, how does Job respond to it? And last week, we looked at the idea that Job responded in an honest and human way. He didn't get everything right, but that, honest, that honesty was an example of, of, a, of a godly way to respond. And so the talk was uh, an honesty that surrounds our faith. This week, we're looking at a faith that should anchor our honesty. So keeping those two things in balance, you can't just have honesty, but you can't just have faith. So this week is a faith that Job had that anchors everything that he does. He grapples, he struggles, he prays, he thinks, he doubts. But throughout the whole book of Job, he has an anchor of faith in God and God's attributes. Um, so before we, before we just quickly get into what, um, what Job has faith in, I want to make it clear to you, I hope I made it clear last week, and if I didn't, then I've made it clear this week, that this is not two sermons that will give all the answers on suffering. Um, this is not, you know, this is why suffering happens, here's the answer, now go away and, and, and that's really good. That's partly because suffering is too big a deal to be able to kind of just give black and white answers. But it's also partly because that's not what Job is about. Job is not a book about the why, it's more a book about the how. There are reasons for suffering 
Uh, and the rest of the Bible talks about some of those reasons. Um, Paul talks about suffering a little bit. 1 Peter talks about suffering. And that it's not like suffering is an issue that we can't understand at all. And there are different ways of suffering as well. We've got kind of moral evil, um, natural disasters, emotional pain and grief, and, and for Christians, persecution. Um, and there are different reasons for those sufferings. But the book of Job is not really about why those sufferings happen, but more how can we as a Christians, as people who are seeking to serve God, respond to that? How can we equate a loving God with that suffering? Um, I think that's particularly kind of hard in our culture. Our culture is so kind of focused on the why. Why does that happen? Why? Can, uh, in, in, the, in the past, that possibly wasn't such a big an issue. But in our culture, we're so focused on the why. And Job isn't really about the why. It's more about the how. Um, and, I, and, and actually, if we can get to understand the how, in some ways, that helps us to understand the why. Does that make sense? So this is not a kind of black and white, here's different types of suffering, here's why, and here's what we can do to respond to them. Because that isn't really what Job is about. Um, and this is not an evangelistic kind of, I'm telling you how to deal with it so you can go away and, and uh, you know, you won't be any better, better well equipped if someone says to you, oh, I just got a lot of suffering, to go away and answer that question. That's not really where I'm going with this. We're looking more about how as Christians, how as, peop- how as, how as people who are serving God, can we respond to suffering in a way that kind of glorifies God, but, you know, how, how can we equate a loving Father God with suffering? That is, that's a hard question. Um, so this week, after last week looking at Job's honesty, this week we come to Job's faith. And what is it that Job holds to in his pain? Job is commended by God. Job is commended um, by God in Job and in the rest of the Bible. And he's kind of known in church history as this man who had great faith. But what is it that he had faith in? What was his faith based upon? And before I put up my next slide, I just want to make it clear that amidst all of the faith that Job had, that was surrounded by confusion. You've got to kind of hold these two things together. You know, Job did have this sure and steadfast faith in God, but at the same time, it was all kind of mixed up in his pain and suffering. I think a good way to think of it is if Job was here today listening and I said Job had great faith, I think he'd probably laugh. <laughs> I don't think he thought he had great faith, if that makes sense. So that, that's possibly a good way to look at it. He, he did have great faith. He did hold to things. He did have a good sense of who God was, blah, blah, blah. But that was all mixed in with confusion and pain and hardship for Job. Uh, and we need to just kind of have a sense of that. It'd be very easy for a talk on Job's faith just to kind of be like, wow, look at this guy, he's so amazing, let's copy him. And I don't really want us to go there. I want us to remember that Job is human, Job is sinful, Job is messed up and mixed up, and he doesn't get everything right. But he does get a lot right. Um, and what is, it, what, is it, what is it that Job holds to in his pain? What is it that Job has faith in? So I've got three points, and I've put them all up on the slide, all at once. No, I haven't. 
at the end of my slides. Any ideas? There we go. Okay, and I put them all up because they kind of interlink and they kind of make sense in each other um, rather than putting it one by one. So Job understands God, Job understands himself, and Job understands redemption. That's not a full understanding, but he kind of gets those. So what do I mean by that? Um, First of all, when we're talking about Job understanding God, Job knows and has a sense that God is sovereign. He knows that God is in control of events. There's no point in Job when he starts to kind of say, God doesn't know what he's doing, or God's fallen asleep here, or God has lost control. Job kind of knows that God is sovereign and is in control. Uh, If you want to turn to Job, if you you have your finger in the page, uh, there's a little bit of flicking around again, but in Job chapter 21, And verse 22, Job says, Can anyone teach knowledge to God? There's a sense that Job knows that humans can't come to God and teach God things. God is is supreme. God is sovereign. God is above all things. Uh, uh, There's loads and loads of chapters in Job which have some of the most amazing imagery when Job's talking about God. And Job's saying, you know, God is amazing. God made all these things. God, all these things are in God's hands. All these things are in God's control. Um, I think in Job, Job chapter 12 and verse 23, Job's talking about God making him and seeing his life as he's growing up and watching him and keeping hold of him, his hands upon him. There's this real sense for Job that God is in control. He talks about making nations great and then destroying them. Taking aside whether you think that God is bad or good, he's still in control. And and Job knows that and has a sense of that and and holds to that. And then secondly, he knows that God is supremely holy. Job has a real good grasp of God's holiness. In chapter 9 and verse 2, Job says, How can a mortal be righteous before God? What he's really saying there is, how can someone like me stand before God? I am, I am, I am sinful. I'm, God is far too holy for me to come anywhere near him. The friends kind of get this, but then they mess up on grace. They don't really understand grace. They, well, they understand God's holiness. So Job has this sense that God is sovereign, but at the same time he understands that God is holy. And, um, and, Job, and so Job in his pain, in his confusion, in his kind of mixed up state, understands God to some degree. And he holds to that, he holds fast to that. Secondly, Job understands himself. Job knows that he is a sinner. Job knows that he has done things wrong in his life. Um, There are a number of times in Job when he kind of maintains his innocence and calls himself blameless. And I'll kind of come on to that in a, in, a, in a minute. But Job knows that something is wrong between him and God. Job knows that the relationship there is not quite right. There's a number of times when he kind of says, what I said in that chapter might have been wrong. What I said in, in then was rash. And in chapter 7 and verse 21, Job says, why can't God just pardon my sins? Now that's quite a meaty verse. There's quite a lot in that. But 
That's saying that Job sinned. Job knew that he was a sinner. He knew he did things wrong. He knew that his, his life was not quite right with God. He had a good sense of God's holiness. And he had a good sense of his own sinfulness. And, and, and the, the, the relationship there, it was broken. Job was, Job was not a man who thought, I'm okay. Do you get that? But at the same time, Job understands redemption. Um, Job kind of knows that somehow God can provide redemption for him in the middle of his kind of God's holiness and his own sinfulness. Job knows that God can bring those two things together. If you turn to chapter 19, I nearly read the, I, I nearly asked Dad to read this one for our reading, but then thought I wouldn't. We'll read the other bit. Uh, Job chapter 19 is kind of like the middle the, of Job, the kind of crux, the thing that everything hangs on. And in the beginning of Job chapter 19, he's, he, he's effectively cursing God. He's, he's not quite cursing God, but he's effectively calling God a monster God. How long will you torment me? You know, it's not a really very nice picture of God in the beginning of Job chapter 19. And then in Job chapter 20, you don't need to turn to it, but in Job chapter 21, when he replies to Zophar, there's, there's this sense that you know, Job is like angry at God and he doesn't know what's going on. So on either side of Job chapter 19, you've got pain, you've got confusion, you've got anger, you've got distress, despair. But Job chapter 19 and verse 23, or 24, uh, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were writ- written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in rock forever. Why? Because I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Now, there's quite a lot in those verses. But Job knows that something is wrong between him and God, but that God will provide a way for redemption. And that's really key. Job holds to that. He's not completely in despair. He's not kind of thinking, God has completely rejected me, and I just might as well just go and wallow in my own self-pity. The world is over. Job knows that God, in his sovereignty and in his holiness, can provide a way for a sinner like Job to come to God. Now, as I say, all of that is tied up in his confusion. And the question of whether, how how much does Job understand redemption? Is Is it more the case that Job wants redemption from his suffering rather than his sin? That's a tricky question. That's a hard question. I don't think we can fully know the answer to that. But Job paints the picture, the book of Job, paints the picture that Job understands that there can be redemption between him, a sinner, and God, the whole, a holy God. Um, Job, secondly, Job knows the difference between earthly and spiritual suffering. Uh, let's just dwell upon what that, what that means for a minute. Um, this is my own kind of phrase. There's probably a better one to use that kind of scholars and things use, but I've come up with this one. Uh, earthly and spiritual suffering. Spiritual suffering is suffering that we as Christians believe we all deserve because we are sinful. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So spiritual suffering would be the fact that we are sinful, there is a punishment to come. Okay, that's, 
That's kind of what spiritual suffering is. We are sinful, that the, our relationship between God is broken, that means that there is punishment, there is suffering to come. And that suffering is a separation from God, what the Bible calls hell. Earthly suffering is the kind of falling over, breaking your leg, you know, grieving, pain on earth, suffering on earth. And that kind of comes in lots of different forms and different ways and hurts people differently. But that's what earthly suffering is. Now the friends, they get this wrong because they think that earthly suffering is a direct result of your sin. So if you swear, then you go and break your leg, you know? If you kill someone, then someone else in your family dies. They think it's a little, like a slot machine world. You put a little bit of good in, you get some good out. You put some bad in, you get bad out. That's, that's, that's their kind of worldview. But Job kind of knows that that isn't quite right. Job's like, well, actually, when I look into the world, I can see that that doesn't really make sense. There are good people that suffer. There are bad people that get away with it. How can you equate that? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't match up with your worldview. And Job knows that. But at the same time, Job understands that suffering on earth is a direct result of sin. Because suffering came into the world when sin came into the world. So Job has a, not a perfect understanding, but a better understanding of, of, of suffering than the friends do. He knows that his suffering is not quite a direct result of his sin. And that's why he can call himself innocent and blameless. Because he's thinking, wait a minute, this, this suffering doesn't really match up to what I've done in my life. If I'd been a really bad person, then this would make sense, but I haven't. So Job kind of can put those two things together. But at the same time, he's not saying, I am perfect. And I, you know, this Job kind of saying, well, actually, I'm sin, sin at the same time. So Job gets the difference between earthly suffering and spiritual suffering. That's why he can call himself innocent and blameless. That's why, in chapter 7 and verse 3, when Job says, why have I been allotted months of futility and nights of misery? That's why he can say that. Why is this happening to me? Because I haven't done anything wrong to deserve this. But at the same time, Job kind of knows that suffering is a result of sin, and he knows that the relationship is broken. So, when I say that Job has faith, what is it that Job has faith in? Well, it would be this. It's not a perfect faith. It's not a full faith. It's not a complete, perfect understanding of everything, those things. We don't have a complete and perfect understanding of those things. But Job knows that God is holy. He knows that God is loving. He knows that he's a sinner. And he knows that somehow, in God's holiness and justice... He can be brought to God. That's kind of all mixed up in confusion. But he gets that. And he holds to that. He holds firmly to that. It's an anchor for him. Everything else that happens, everything else that he's grappling with, struggling about, praying, he holds to those things. He holds to God and the truth um, that God is. Um, and that's really where I want to get to with this idea of Job's faith. He holds to those truths in his pain while grappling with it at the same time. Now that's, that's, that's mind-blowing. That, that's, that's really hard to get our heads around. How can, how can someone do that? 
So Job has this sure anchor of faith in those things, but at the same time, he wrestles and grapples with it at the same time. That's really hard. Hopefully, um, this will help you understand a little bit of what I mean by that. Um, If we call faith and honesty a beam, which you should be on when dealing with suffering, what happens if you fall off on that side of having faith but no honesty? And that side, if you fall off having honesty but no faith? I think that's quite a good way to kind of unpack that. Okay, that's the answers, but okay, there we go, that's cool. Um, (laughs) Forget that. Um, Okay, so if we fall off on the side of having faith with no honesty, this is someone that says, God is good, God is really good, this is hard, but let's just trust in him. Let's just really have faith and... I don't understand what's going on, but there is a, Jesus died for our sins, there is a resurrection, so let's just really, really hold on to that and really try hard. And if we do start doubting and grappling and thinking, that's bad, we mustn't do that. If we do that, that's really, really sinful. Is that a good, we talked about this last week, is that a good way to respond? Well, that doesn't really, for a Christian who believes that God is love, that doesn't really answer the question. And what that leads to is a, is a kind of blind faith. It leads to you saying, I must think this, and if I don't, then that's really, really bad. And then what happens when you start to doubt? Well, oof, that's really bad. Um, this, this really essentially is a form of... No. Uh, it, it's legalism. It's a, it's, a, it's a black and white kind of, this is how to deal with suffering. If you don't deal with it like that, then that's really, really bad. And, um, and that just isn't quite right. Now, the people that generally will do this are the, is the comforter. It's the person who comes to the sufferer and says, just pull yourself together. Just grit your teeth and get on with it. Jesus died for your sins. There is a resurrection. What's the problem? You know, you, this, this life is only 70, 80 years. You, you know, and then you then that's going to be the end of it, and you go to heaven, and everything's, everything's well. What, what's the, what is the problem? That, that's where, that's where the, the, the comforter comes from, if they're, if they're kind of coming to it without that sense of honesty, without that sense of grappling, without that sense of godly uh, doubting God and thinking, and thinking about what do these things mean? How do these things equate? Honesty without faith, on the other side is where I really didn't want you to think when I did last week. I really didn't want you to think that that was okay, having honesty without faith. And that's, that's obvious why that is not okay. And honesty without faith ultimately leads to denying God. It leads to a heresy. And you can see how this would pan out. Someone says, well, I'm suffering. You know, I'm trying to be honest. I know that God is love, but I know that um, I'm suffering. Well, those two things don't make sense. So either one, one must not be true but I know I'm suffering, so therefore God isn't love. You can see how, if we're trying to be honest about this, very, very quickly, that kind of, we kind of deny God. And generally, we'll find that it's the sufferer that does that. It's the person that's suffering and is in so much pain that they're kind of beginning to forget God and deny God. So those two things, I hope you can see how important it is to whether we're a sufferer or we're 
trying to comfort someone who is suffering to have both faith and honesty. A faith that anchors our honesty and an honesty that surrounds our faith. That is so important. That is so crucial. If we miss out on one of those, then it kind of just becomes disjointed. And we end up either piling guilt on people or forgetting who God is and, and, and going off in some other direction. And those, both those things are, are really bad. Um, I realise that this is quite a this is quite a kind of hard thing. You know, it's one thing just to stand here and say you should have faith and honesty. It's a very, very different thing when someone is suffering. That's very different. But these principles are true. Um, and for Job, we'll look at it in a minute where, the, where that response got Job. But for Job, he had this, this, this strong faith in God, but an incredible kind of honesty that fleshed out his faith. And that allowed him to grapple with this issue in a way that the friends just didn't really do. They kind of just, they missed the point. They missed the point of what suffering was. So how should we respond? What is a godly way to respond to suffering? Well, it's both a strong faith to cling to and an honest grappling heart that fleshes out our faith. And Job gets that. Amidst all his pain, amidst his confusion, amidst just the kind of, we can't even comprehend how bad this was for Job. Amidst all that, he has a faith in God and an honesty. And where did that leave Job? This is, this, is where, this is where I really want to get to, and this is why we read Job chapter 42. Where does that leave Job? Where, where does, how does Job end the book? What, what happens at the end? Uh, not quite at the end, but what's the last thing that Job says? Well, in, um, in chapter, what is it, 38, God answers him. If we just turn to that. Yeah, in chapter 38, God answers Job. But it isn't really God answering Job. And if it is, it's not a great answer. Because he more, he questions Job, really. Um, and, and God just basically does these kind of three chapters, four chapters, or I can't do maths, five chapters, whatever it is, um, of kind of questioning Job and saying, you know, do, do you even understand me? What, who, is, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And then God says, brace yourself like a man and I will question you. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? <laughs> Come on, Job. Where were you at the start of the world when I kind of conceived this idea to have a human race? And where were you? <laughs> Nowhere. You weren't even born. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. This. So this is, not, this is not a great answer, is it? It's not a very comforting answer for Job, who's kind of been through all this, this pain. Uh, and God continues, you know, with this kind of, where were you when I did this? What were you doing when I did all of this? Can you even begin to comprehend me? That's what God says. Uh, and where does that leave Job in chapter 42? We read the first six verses of 42. It's quite short, but there's quite a lot in this. We said at the start, what happens if I go to the next one? I forgot what my slides are. Oh no, go back, go back. Good stuff. We said at the start that God, uh, Job understands God, he understands himself, and he understands redemption. But at the end of Job, he has a greater knowledge of God. 
He has a better and more, not a complete knowledge, but a fuller knowledge of God. In, uh, in chapter 42 and verse 2, Job says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. So God gives this answer where he says, where were you when I did all this? And Job says, you're absolutely right. Where was I? I thought I could question you. I thought I could, I thought I could understand you. What Job's saying here is he, has a, he, he, he goes from thinking that God is there to thinking that God is there. He kind of comes to this sense that God is so much more holy than he really thought. Um, you know, Job before is saying God is holy. Now, Job is on his knees because he can't even begin to comprehend God's holiness. This is kind of something that we see throughout the Bible. When people see God, their response is not, wow, I'm so great. Their response is, wow, God is so great. And they thought that God was good, but they they didn't even scratch the surface of God's holiness. So Job comes to a greater knowledge of God, a greater sense of how holy and good God is. The second thing that he does is he comes to a greater knowledge of himself. He can understand himself better. Job chapter 42 and verse 6, Therefore I despise myself and repent in the dust and the ash. I'm not necessarily saying that to have a good understanding of yourself, we should all go and do that. But Job, as he looks on God's holiness, realises just how sinful he is. If he thought that God was there, he thought he was there. And if he realises God is over there, he then comes to the conclusion that he is well over here. He gets this sense that he is so unbelievably sinful and he despises himself because of it. And I think when we see people who meet God in the Bible, people like Isaiah, and they, 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 they see God and they are so captivated by his holiness and so unbelievably ashamed at their own sinfulness. I, I can't believe, in the light of how holy God is, I can't believe that I am really like that. And that's the sense for Job. And we think, Job, why, why are you despising yourself? You haven't done that much wrong. <laughs> Come on. But it's not that Job has done much wrong, it's that he sees God's holiness and just can't believe how sinful he is. So he comes to a greater knowledge of God, he comes to a greater knowledge of himself and ultimately that will therefore lead to a greater knowledge of redemption. The further God is away and the further we are from God, the greater it is that God can bring us back to him. Isn't that amazing? And in in Job 42 and verse 5, Job says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And he's able to say, I am so sinful, you are so holy, but wow, you have made it possible for me to come to you. There's actually a relationship there. We can can have a relationship. And, And... after all, the, after 42 chapters of pain, suffering, turmoil, depression, anger, Job actually praises God and is able to say, wow. Isn't that amazing? Can you get a sense? That's how Job ends. And it's because all of this suffering and all of this leads him to a greater understanding of these things. And he's able to praise God more because he understands redemption better. 
Now that is, that is mind-blowing. That is really, really hard-hitting and powerful. And I, even, even, I, I don't even fully understand all this. That's like, wow, how can Job come to that conclusion? Well, it's because he sees God. And it's because he can see that redemption is so much greater than he once thought it was. Suffering is hard. Suffering is painful. Suffering is personal. Suffering is real. But if we can hold fast to the truths of God while grappling with God at the same time, that should lead us to a greater sense of glory, a greater sense of worship, a greater sense of awe. And we should, in a kind of mind-blowing twist, be able to give God even more worship than we could before because of our suffering. Because of our sense of rejection by God, that should enhance our sense of redemption and therefore enhance our sense of being able to praise God more. That is mind-blowing. That is crazy. Isn't it amazing that the times when we feel closest to people, when we know them best, when we feel that our relationship is the strongest, are the times when the going gets tough. For two friends, or a husband and a wife, or a father and a son, if life is just all rosy all of the time, how do you really know each other? It's when hardship comes into that relationship. It's when there's disagreements, arguments, fights. But, but because of the, the love, because of the anchor that's there, you can pull through that. You can actually come to a greater sense of love because of that. Can you kind of see how that works in human relationships? When, when, a, when, a, when a husband and a wife struggle but pull through, that actually leads them to be able to love each other even more. I think that there is a sense of this in Job. I said at the start that I'm, I'm not here to give you the why. <laughs> I'm not here to kind of say to you, oh, the, re- the reason that all this happened to Job was so that, you know, God could, be, God could be glorified. There is truth in that. There's truth in everything that happens is, is to glorify God. But our response should be one of faith in who God is and his goodness and an honesty that surrounds that faith, that will lead us to, in our suffering, come to a greater understanding of God and a greater sense of worship. And if we can come to that, then isn't that amazing? So it's not a full answer to suffering. Um, You're never going to go away to your friends and say, you know, the reason suffering happens is so that we can have honesty and faith. That doesn't, really, that doesn't really answer the question. But as Christians, how can we respond in a way that glorifies God but acknowledges that we are human? And that is, that is the way to do it. Um, and if we do that, then in God's goodness, in God's grace, in God's sovereignty, we can come back and have an even better, if that's possible, relationship with God, an even greater sense of redemption. Amen. Uh, Let me pray very quickly uh, and then we'll sing our final song which is how how great is our God? How good is that? I picked them though so that's good. And uh, and then Rich can give us uh, a few notices at the end. Father God, I thank you that you are sovereign. 
that you are good, that you are great, that you are holy. Lord, and I thank you that even, even in our sin, there is still a way for us to have a relationship with you. And Lord, when we get a sense of that, however weak and, and, and pale that our sense of that is, Lord, I thank you that that enables us to just praise you. Lord, the gospel is that we can't um, despair because we're not good enough, but we can't feel proud because we can do it. Lord, the gospel is that you have already done it for us and we can come to a greater sense of praise. And Lord, suffering is hard. Suffering is real. Suffering is personal and painful. But Lord, help give us a sense that if we come to suffering with this attitude, that we can actually know you better through it. Um, wouldn't that be incredible uh, if that could be our response? Father God, I thank you for these things. I thank you for what we've thought about, Lord, and I pray you would use it to speak to us and challenge us as well. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.